morning, everyone. My name is Valerie Schneider, and I'm an alcoholic. And it is by the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh-oh. Excuse me. It's this little Furby thing that... It's my little good luck charm. Excuse me. Anyway, by the grace of God, definitely. This Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and strong sponsorship that I've been sober since September 26, 1983. And, uh, thank you. I had a... Joe gave me this little, this little guy, and, and he only pressed one foot, and I just found out that if you press the other one, he says something different. <laughs> so I apologize for that, but he's awfully cute, and I know I'm going to have to wrestle him away from my kids when I get home, so I'll only get to enjoy him for, for a little while. Um, Anyway, I'd like to start off by saying that I've just had an absolutely wonderful weekend. The speakers up to this point have been just uh, very, I've just been in awe of the speakers and, and, and their message that they've carried this weekend. And um, I'd like to thank the committee, uh, Brian and, and Jerry, for, for asking me and, and inviting me to come out to your city and, and share with you. I'd like to thank Roxanne and Wendy and Lauren and, and Mark and, and all the people that have drug us around uh, Buffalo to uh, beautiful restaurants and to the uh, Niagara Falls last night to see the falls with the lights on. And um, I had them almost convinced that we could go over the border. I would be, I think, one of the only ones that had would have to lie. I found out Mark would have to lie six times. I only would have to lie twice um, to get over the border into Canada. Um, I was willing, but there was, a, there was a new guy with us that was afraid he was going to get uh, left there. And, um, and I, I really wouldn't want to have to come up here this morning and report that I had done something like that, got somebody left in Canada. Uh, anyway, um, it's really an honor. It, it really is an honor for me to be asked to do something like this. And, and any time I'm asked to share in Alcoholics Anonymous, it is a great honor. Um, um, and sometimes I don't feel like I'm up to it, that I, you know, that I don't have the, the message. But, you know, all I have is what I did. And if I deviate from what I did, I'm lying. And then I get in a lot of trouble um, if, I, if I get to that, to that point. My husband's sponsor is sitting right over there taping me. And he's informed me that if I deviate, he's going to yell out, lie, lie. <laughs> and uh, I really, really don't want him to do that. So... So I think I'll stick to my story and, um, and what happened to me to get me into this wonderful fellowship. Um, I was uh, uh, the youngest of six children, and I grew up in a, uh, in a family. We didn't have a lot of alcohol problems in our family, but we had every other single problem there exists. And, and, and like J.C. shared, you know, I have uh, uh, no one to blame for my alcoholism but my own arm and, and my own habit. But... Uh, um, I just want to share that my, my growing up was a little bit um, different. But you know what? I've talked to hundreds of people, and I haven't met anybody who lived like um, Father Knows Best, really, uh, that I really like anyway, <laughs> I should say. Um, so anyway, I was the youngest. I was, um, and, and I think because this is a disease of perception, a lot of my story is perception. I, I perceived that um, my life, completely different than, I've become very, very close, best friends almost with my sister, my, uh, one of my older sisters, and um, she tells me that I was a spoiled, rotten brat, and I don't remember it that way, because um, there's a movie that opened this weekend that uh, is about me, it's called The World Is Not Enough. That was my, you know, that's, that's my, my deal, is, is um, like Jerry said, you know, I may not be much, but I'm all I think of. 
Um, uh, you know, and I love that. And I, and I stole that from him back in 1984, and I've used it ever since because I, that is exactly how I feel uh, most days. Um, you know, that I, I could have, it's very, very possible that I was a spoiled, rotten brat, and it probably is true, but that wasn't the, what I remember. You know, I, the way I, I felt like it was never enough. Nothing was ever enough. I was always the odd duck. I was always the oddball. Um, like Wendy says, um, had said to me this weekend, you know, the, the square peg trying to fit in the round hole, and I've, I've always felt like that too. I always felt that there were two groups of people everywhere I went. There was me, and there was you. And that was always the way it, it felt to me. And, um, and to some degree it felt like um, at birth maybe everyone was issued a handbook and uh, mine got screwed up, lost in the mail, whatever. You know, my dad, we moved two weeks after I was born. Mine hadn't arrived yet. I did not come with my instruction book like I was supposed to. And in almost every situation that I found myself in, um, I, would, uh, uh, I would feel like I, everybody else was, was cool and okay and, and knew what to do, and I was the only one that didn't know what to do. Um, that, uh, you know, when we were coming to class and everybody else had their book already and I didn't have my book and I think, how did they find out that they needed the book before class? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know that answer. Um, but that's the way I felt all of my life and um, before I ever took a drink. So I don't know, you know, I was just waiting for that drink. And, and I took my first drink um, at a, a slumber party that um, I went to when I was... 13 years old. Now, I probably had a sip of this or a sip of that growing up somewhere, but that doesn't, that's not, you know, what was not my first drunk. My first drunk was when I was 13. And I, uh, I went to this slumber party, and there was only two of us, so it was really not a, much of a party. It was just two of us. <laughs> the, other, the, other, the other two girls that were supposed to come didn't come for some reason or another. And the gal, the, the, my girlfriend's father was a single dad, and um, he went out on a date and left us at home alone. And he had a well-stocked bar, and she said, and she was very worldly, and I looked up to her. She said, this is what I do. I take about an inch off everything in this cabinet and make this drink. And uh, he had, I'm here to tell you, he had rum and tequila and vodka and vermouth and all kinds of things. And when you put an inch of everything like that in a drink, it's one god-awful drink. It is an awful drink. And she took a couple sips of it and said, we shouldn't have added the grenadine and wouldn't drink anymore. And I drank the rest. And really, I could sit down right now and, you know, that, that'd be exactly how I was. I drank the rest. That was the story of my life from that point on until I came to you. Um, and what it did was it changed me. It changed me. When I took that drink, um, there's a dear lady back in Omaha, Nebraska that I, that I love and respect and admire, uh, Peggy, and she always would say when she, took her, when she took that first drink that a couple of things happened, and one was that her boobs grew. And, um, <laughs> and I related to that. I've always related to that part of her story because um, that's, that's what happened. My, my personality grew, whereas you know, I felt like I'd had to go out and buy a personality the night before. Um, all of a sudden, I took this drink, and I was, uh, where's the party? You know, where's, you know, where are the boys? Where's this? You know, I dance on the table, put the light lampshade on my head, and here we go. And um, I loved it. I fell in love with it. And that was a Friday night, and I was still sick Sunday mo or Monday morning, and I couldn't go to school. I was still sick. But I never, not one instant, did I think, I'll never drink again. I thought... We won't put grenadine in it next time. <laughs> or I thought, 
we'll do something different. But it was, ne it was not even a question about whether I was going to do that again. And I did that every chance I could, which my parents were um, fairly strict uh, in their religion and, and very strict with us at home. And we, were, we, we had curfews and we always had, you know, we were always tried to, you know, given, you know, a good, a good moral background and all of that. But so it, I didn't get a whole lot of opportunities, but I, I got as many, I did as many as I could. And I, and I was also a, a great manipulator and a great liar. And um, I would say I was going to go somewhere and I wouldn't. And uh, that actually followed me into sobriety a little bit too, which is later. Um, I would... Uh, um, you know, make up that I was going over to a girlfriend's house to spend the night and I'd actually stay out all night drinking and whatnot. And, and so I was a pretty much a, 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 a weekend drinker there in my early teens. And uh, when I was about 15, I, I met a guy. And uh, boy, that's just, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that story from women and I met a guy and then you know the rest. And the rest is history. Um, I was 15 and I got pregnant and um, I thought, uh, I was, I was really afraid. I didn't know what to do. And um, I got pregnant with that baby. And um, my parents kind of took over. And, um, you know, they were ashamed because they lived in a nice neighborhood and it didn't happen. And um, so I was locked in my room, <laughs> not really literally. Um, but I was, I was sheltered and, and, and I was kind of, you know. And I gave the baby up for adoption. And um, all of really that that did for me was cement into me that, that um, I was different, that I was, there was something wrong with me. There was just something wrong with me that I couldn't, why couldn't, you know, I couldn't be like other people, that I had this, I don't know, I, that, um, I don't know. I dropped out of high school, I dropped out after 10th grade, and um, my parents made me take a GED, which I'm really glad they did that, and then they, they pushed me off into college. So there I was uh, just after, right after I turned 17, going to college and uh, and I felt different there too I felt like um, I had something to prove um, and uh, so I proceeded to find the people that were like me and um, and it didn't take long I went from being a straight-A student on the honor roll and in a couple of semesters to uh, failing and and get C's and D's in, in most of my classes and um, I found out what like Jerry was talking last night and I really enjoyed Jerry's talk he was, say, he was saying that uh, he had smoked in bed and his bed caught on fire and his wife gave him an ultimatum that, you know, he's either going to have to, you know, something's going to have to give with the smoking and the drinking. So he quit smoking. And, you know, with me it was, um, there was something between the school and the drinking. So I quit school. It was, it was not really, it was a no-brainer as far as I was concerned, uh, literally. And um, um, so I, I dropped out of school and... Um, I had, uh, the guy that was the father of the baby had gone off to the Marine Corps and I didn't really, ever, you know, I haven't seen or heard from him ever since, um, but I had been kind of off and on with another fella and I got uh, kind of hooked up with him again and um, he liked to drink but he didn't like a lot of the other things I did. Um, he was, um, you know, pretty, pretty much just a drinker and, and um, I, think, I think I had a, about a four-year relationship with him and I think I was faithful to him for about three days once. And um, I, I set, that was when I set my record. And uh, he didn't like a lot of that either. So um, I, I kept getting the boot and then, you know, I, we'd get back together and then um, he'd catch me on somebody else's lap and I'd get the, he'd, he'd, you know, break up with me and then we'd get back together. And um, finally I got into some sort of trouble with, with something and he, he broke up with me and said, that's it. And I was um, 18, 
And I decided that I was going to escape to Wisconsin. I'd been hearing this, you know, my sisters had moved out, two of my sisters had moved out to Madison, Wisconsin, and they, they seemed to, to think it was great out there. I knew the drinking age was 18. I was still underage in Nebraska, and so I thought it would be a good place to go. So I went out to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, my sister was a, um, a half owner of a bakery, and so to kind of keep myself uh, self-supporting, it was her idea that I worked for her in this bakery while I was there. I was there for about six weeks or so. And so I um, had to go into this bakery every morning at 6 a.m. And, you know, donuts don't smell very good when you're hungover. They really don't. They just, they're just about, to this day, I really don't like those. You know, I really don't. Um, but um, so I had to do that. And um, I, I got a little wild and I got a little carried away. I mean, that's really, I, I was just kind of a wild person. I was always doing things that were inappropriate, saying things that were inappropriate. And um, I, I, I really have to say, I really didn't want to be like that, but it just seemed always my, another thing I could say that would sum up my life is it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Things that I would do would seem like a good idea at the time. And then later I would say, you know, that maybe not have been such a good idea, but it sure did seem like a good idea at the time. And one of those was we had gone to an Oktoberfest there in Wisconsin and uh, there was four or five guys that I had been palling around with and, and uh, drinking with, and they wanted to go off to some party, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, and so I did, and I didn't come back for two days. And my, my sister was understandably very worried about that, and she had been, you know, um, calling the police and, and, and all kinds of things because she didn't have any idea what had happened to me, and I had... I never thought about anybody else. I never thought about what other people were going through. I never thought about anyone worrying about me. Uh, that kind of thing never really occurred to me, actually. And, um, and I did a lot of things that hurt people when I was drinking, and, and, and I didn't care. I just would walk over them to get to what I wanted and what I perceived I wanted. And um, so she said, you know, I, I really don't like, you know, when I came home and, and I got into some trouble with her and, and, and whatnot, uh, she said, you're not... Um, I don't want you to uh, be on the loose like this anymore in Madison. I'm going to ask the, the other owner of the bakery, he had a son, um, I'm going to ask him to kind of escort you around. He's more your age, you might have more fun with him anyway. And I said, that's fine, that's great. You know, I was really at that point only concerned with it, what he looked like, you know. And um, he showed up and, I, um, and he was going to take me to a Kansas concert and uh, I had bought a fifth of Bacardi 151, which was my drink of choice. And he said, I don't drink. And I said, it's not for you. <laughs> and that was, our, that was our illustrious start there. I thought the nerve of him, how arrogant, you know. I may, be, I may have been an 80s woman, but I still thought that, you know, he would pay for his own at least. But that was very arrogant. But then I found out that he hadn't drank anything in three years, and that got me kind of interested because he was uh, 19 years old, and I, and I, and I got a little interested, and and I made the mistake of asking him what that was about, and he, I just so happened to have a copy of a book you might want to to look at, and he didn't know me, but I have, I suspect now that there were some people talking about me behind my back, and um, <laughs> so he gave me this book, and. I still remember, I opened it up to, to a page that said, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us got. I snapped the book shut and said, don't, no, don't need that. And I threw it away, and my sister did dig it out of the trash can. Um, um, and I honestly wish I still had that book, but I don't. She kept it, as far as I know. Um, anyway, but uh, 
he was my escort around town for the next few weeks. And uh, boy, what a drag. What a drag that was. But you know, I can see now that, that there was a seed planted there. There was something. And, and what was planted was I had had a job where I, w- where I worked downtown, and I have to walk by Skid Road drunks you know, from my parking spot. I worked for the government, so of course the parking lot was three miles from my office, and it seemed like. And I would have to walk by a lot of Skid Row drunks, and that's an alcoholic. I was, you know, I was convinced that that was an alcoholic. There was no way. But because he was 19 and had been sober three years, that was filed somewhere in the back of my brain. And I, you know, I just, it was a year later when I came here, but it was, it was, that was, I think, the beginning of that. I went back to Nebraska, and about eight weeks later, I got my first DWI. And that transpired. I had um, I had a, a, a stupid friend in the in the passenger seat who um, I was. It was a snowy night in Nebraska in February, which is not unusual. And we were driving down a, a residential road, and I, I came across a car that was parked on the curb, and I didn't see him till the last minute. And I went to go around him, and it cut off an oncoming car. And it just so happened to be a police officer. And so he did a 180 and, and came after me and, um, and pulled me over. Well, as soon as we saw that it was a police officer, my stupid friend in the passenger seat started throwing bottles out the window, which is why I call him the stupid friend, because I think we might have you know, been better off if, if, uh, if empty bottles of vodka hadn't been hitting the cruiser behind us. <laughs> um, you know, I, I might have had, some, had something to, you know. So um, I got my first DWI that night. and. And um, to show you how much that impressed me, after they, they uh, released me and took me back to the car, he told me not to drive for another four hours. And as soon as he was gone, I started the ignition and went home. That's how much respect and, and, uh, and awe of being arrested I had been that night. Um, so what they did was, because I was um, 18 and it was my first offense, they put me in a little program called the Sarpy County Diversion Program, and what it was to divert you from jail. I'm sure they have something very similar to that here. If I would adhere to some rules and some things, I would avoid a record and um, court sentencing and, and whatnot. So I said, what do I have to do? And they said, you have to come see this person every week. I think I had to go see her. And uh, actually, I started off with a, with a man that I had to go see, and I had to go to three or four AA meetings a week and get my card signed. I said, I could do that, and it was a six-month program. I spent 13 months in that six-month program um, because I couldn't get it right. Um, I started forging signatures. I was smart. I thought I was smarter than the average bear. I learned a few signatures, and I thought, you know, I really don't have to go to that meeting tonight. I can write Sally's name down here just as well as she did. And um, that worked for a while until the person I was reporting to, who happened to be a member of AA, knew that I was writing Sally's name in on a men's meeting or something. I, I got caught somehow. <laughs> and they started me over in my six-month program. And then, um, let's see, the next incident that I got into was on my birthday, I turned 19. And um, I was legal somewhere. It was in Iowa, but I was legal. And so I... I took off with a friend. We had gone to dinner with my parents, so I had kind of dressed up. I was wearing a, a long, like, blue jean skirt and some suede boots and, and long, you know, kind of a heavy outfit. For the time of year, it was kind of a heavy outfit. And um, we'd gone to dinner, and then me and my girlfriend had gone off to drink, and um, 
we were looking for the guys, we were looking for the party, and sometimes the party was at uh, these old rock quarries in Nebraska. They have those like swimming holes is what we used. That's, what, that's not what they're intended for, but that's what we used them for. And so we found some people at one of those, and I got out of the car, and I was really drunk. I'd bought a big bottle of vodka that night, and um, I was really drunk, and I fell in with all these clothes on. And another time when it seemed like a good idea at the time, I decided that I didn't need my clothes, that I should take all of my clothes off. So I did. I took all of my clothes off and um, was uh, driving home, and probably everything <laughs> would have been okay if I hadn't decided to... I, I, I used to... to to play a game where I would go in and out of the, dot, the dashed lines on the, on the, especially if it was really late at night and there was no one, I didn't see the harm in that. However, it's not a good idea to do that in front of Sarpy County Courthouse, I found out, because I got pulled over. Now, I don't have anything on, except a smile, and uh, I get pulled over, and uh, the policeman looked into the window and said, I think I'm going to waive the sobri field sobriety test. <laughs> I said, that's probably a good idea. And he didn't, he didn't arrest me either. He said, um, which, I, you know, he didn't have a raincoat in the back of his car. So he, he, could, he couldn't arrest me because I think he, was, he didn't want me anywhere near him, probably. I don't know. So, but he did say, he, he did know that I was in the Sarpy County Diversion Program and he, he was going to, to report to my um, pro probation officer or whoever this person was Monday morning. And I said, okay, well, Monday morning I made sure I was the first one to call that guy. Um, and uh, he said, you know, we're going to give you one more. He, I came in and, and what happened was I, was I was BSing this guy. He may have been, he was a member of AA, but he was a man. And no, there's nothing wrong with men, but I've always I've always been able to to, to con, you know, to get a little you know bit of an edge, and I and I got I got over on this guy one more time, and I said, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I, it, it was all my parents' fault. They divorced, you know, and then they'd gotten back together to make my life miserable, and then they, you know, and then this had happened, and and I really really liked those AA meetings, and would you take me to one? And. Um, and he did. He took me to a meeting, and I got started over in my diversion program, but I also got yanked from him and put on another file, which later, you know, transpired later when I got in more trouble. I found out about that. So what happened was um, nothing changed. Nothing changed. I got stopped. Um, I was going 40 miles an hour in a 25-mile-hour zone. I ran a red light, cut off a police officer who pulled me over. I had a joint going that I quickly stuffed in the ashtray. We'd had all the windows rolled up because you do that when you're smoking pot, you know, keep it smoky and nasty in the car. And he pulled me over and let me go. I was drunk and high and, the, you know, and every time that happened, that happened a few times, I would say, the luck of the Irish, or, you know, I got over on him, and all it did was get me another drink. That would just buy me another drink. And, um... Then a couple of things happened. Um, I got tra transferred from his file case to this woman, um, and she was in AA too. And she was a real bitch. She really, really <laughs> was. She was really, really. She was. Uh, she didn't believe anything I said. Matter of fact, <laughs> nothing I said. And she had tricky little things that she'd say to me, like, well, she'd ask me questions all the time. I always felt like when I went in there that. Uh, you know, I had to, 
uh, like Jerry would say, you know, you should always know the answer to any question before it's asked or whatever. But, and I would try to figure that out. I would try, you know, uh, process every question she asked and think, what does she want me to say? What should I say? What, what, you know, and, and I would usually, you know, feel like I came up with the answer. And she asked me if I ever thought that I might have a problem with alcohol. And I did that with that question, too. I processed that, and I thought, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt if I said that, you know, it might even help me, maybe, if I said, yeah, sometimes I do think that I might have a problem with alcohol. And so I said that, and she said, you know, normal drinkers don't think that. And I thought, man, <laughs> man, ouch. And, uh, and she'd get me on a couple of things like that. That was Lisa. And um, she, she, uh, she was just, she was on my case. She just, because you know what? She knew who I was because she was just like me. And that's what I found in AA, is I found that the women in this program are just like me, and they can see right through me. And I've not been able to con a con. And there are a lot of men that I've not been able to con, too, I might add, too. That's certainly not um, my intention to let you think that I've been able to get over on every man in AA, because that is certainly not true. Um, my husband's a prime example of that. Um, anyway, so my last drunk, I was, um, I was driving, and um, I had a headlight problem. My lights would go on, and then they would, about 20 minutes later, they'd go off. And um, I would... Uh, um, have to pull over, turn my lights off, this little wire or whatever it was would cool off and then the lights would come back on, I could turn it back on and I get about another 15 minutes down the road and the same thing would happen, the lights would go off and I have to pull over. And so I was almost home, but I knew it had been about 17 minutes since those lights had gone off. And I see, a, I saw a policeman coming this way and I, I was thinking, please, please, please just don't go off before I get past him, but of course they didn't. And he pulled me over. I had another stupid friend in the car. Um, and this time he had, uh, he had marijuana, which he put into my glove box. And, and you know what, it could very well have been mine. I'm not saying that it, it was, you know, I really am not squawking too much about that because I, could, I owned that stuff too, and it could have been, but I wouldn't have done it right before I was, you know, I wouldn't have put it in there right at that moment. That was, I think, a little, you know, obvious or whatever, but anyway, um, he, and you know, you're in trouble when the policeman says, Valerie, I can't let you go again, and I said, you know, the, on first name basis with the police department, that's not, that's just not good. Um, I had already, I had a, a 64 and a half uh, orange Mustang in just beautiful shape, but it was the only one in my area like it, so I had to sell it and buy a, 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 a an you know, an incognito car because they were looking for me all the time. That's how paranoid I got. So I gave up a beautiful car that I had. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I had so many, so many instances where, you know, I, that I could relate that the things that happened and, um, and whatnot. But that last night, I, I had just been, it'd been a long year. It really had been a long year of, of getting into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble with the police, a lot of trouble with that parole officer the new one especially, or the probation, whatever she was. I don't know what the, her title was. I really don't. Anyway, um, and that night I got my, another DWI. And I knew I was in trouble this time because I knew that they probably weren't going to say, we'll start you over in this six-month program this time. But um, I woke up the next morning, and what, it ha what happened was I... 
what happened was I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror. Just, and it's as corny as that sounds, it's just the same thing that happened to me. I did not like who I was. I did not like the cheating that I did. I didn't like the lying, the stealing, the things that I had become. I really didn't like that. I was, uh, had been brought up to have certain morals and values, and, and I really wanted to be a member of society that people respected and liked, but I didn't know how to get there, and I didn't know, know what to do. And I, knew, I certainly knew that night, that next morning, that I wasn't going to get there that way, that I, it was not going to be through a jail. And um, so I, I went in, and um, they, they, I went to court this time because they said, we can't, you know, we have to send you to court this time. So they sent me to court, and the judge said, I've been looking at your file. This was my, uh, my probation officer's file, and she, he said, and I have a feeling there's more to this story, so I'm going to order a pre-sentence investigation, and we'll come back here in three months. Meanwhile, you're court-ordered to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And, uh, and, I, and I was the first to raise my hand and say, but I have a faulty vehicle. Oh, you know. I can't be driving. Um, you know, so not what I meant driving to an AA meeting is what I meant. And uh, um, Lisa said, don't worry about that. We'll take care of you. And they did. The, people in, the women in AA picked me up and took me to meetings for the first three months of my sobriety. Um, someone was there every single night. And they came and there would sometimes be two or three of them in the car. And they would always be laughing. And I always suspected they'd been laughing about me until I got in and then they'd change the subject. But that's just, you know, that's just the, my own ego and, and paranoia. But uh, more than likely, maybe they were, who knows. But anyway, um, I thought that morning when I, when I got up and looked at myself, I thought, you know, I knew about AA. I had been to AA meetings. I'd been getting my card signed. And ever since the forgery incident, I had been going. And <clears throat> I, uh, um, so I thought, I'll give it a try. And, I, and, and, and maybe I believe that that was God-inspired. I'd always believed in God, but like the book says, I suspected he didn't believe in me. Or I really hoped he wasn't paying too much attention. Really, honestly, that's probably what I, I went closer to it, was I hoped he wasn't paying too much attention to what I was doing, and, and that he, he certainly didn't have time to be personal and uh, especially with the likes of me, you know, that he was off busy um, being proud of Mother Teresa and, and, and other things, that he didn't have time to be, you know, concerned with the, the doings of one small and significant person and, um, who had broken most commandments anyway. So um, I hoped he wasn't paying attention, and, and that, was, that was the extent of that. But there was a little bit of a, of a, of a, a God thing there uh, because... I had already begun to feel and do and think things that I couldn't do of my own power, and that was trust, a little bit of trust that that might work. And so I went back, I went with these people that came and picked me up, and, um, and I decided I was going to do their deal. Now, I had gotten some temporary sponsor, didn't even know what that was, and never called her. But I went to this meeting, and uh, the first meeting I went with these guys, and they said, um, the first thing you need to do is find a sponsor. So I looked around the room and I found the one that looked the nicest because I thought, you know, that might be a good idea. They told me already I couldn't have a man as a sponsor, and none of the men in my area would have sponsored a woman anyway. So I, you know, I had to get a woman sponsor, so I thought, well, I better find one that looks nice. So I, I found one that looks nice, and I found out I caught her on the one day when she was in a good mood. <laughs> 
she was my sponsor for the next um, 13 years, really, and uh, um, she was really a, 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 just a wonderful person to, keep, to, to give me this, the beginnings of this program. She really was. Um, she told me a lot of things that I didn't want to hear. Um, we'd gone, she dragged me to meetings, and then she dragged me to Village Inn, and we'd have meetings after the meetings. And um, I really liked what I saw, but I was... I didn't know if, if, if um, I didn't know if I wanted it for me, but I knew that I wanted what you had. But I wasn't sure I was willing to make the the jump of no no drinking ever. So, um, but they dragged me to Village Inn after the meetings, and I remember one particular occasion. She came up to me. I'd been walking around talking to the different people at the different tables, and she said, "You're causing a stir among the, the waiter staff. You need to sit down because they think you're soliciting for business." And that was, that was due to the way I was dressed and the, the, the way I appeared. And um, um, I was told, you know, that I needed to clean up a little bit. And I, and I thought, you know, my whole, I, my whole outlook on life was uh, I did what I wanted to do and I didn't really care if it hurt anybody or, or anything. But it was one of the first times that I had to take a look at myself and see where I might be affecting other people in a negative manner and, and that, you know, that that might be a good idea. Um, I was also told, I think I was, she sponsored two girls, and it was one of the two girls that she had to make go home from a meeting because I wasn't dressed appropriately either, and told me to go home. Um, I thought the, you know, I, I think I, I bought most of my clothes at Frederick's of Hollywood. I thought that was, that was where you bought clothes. Um, I didn't know about other kinds of, of clothes. I, did, I wasn't interested in that. And um, so anyway, um, she, uh, she, was my, she was my first sponsor, and she, she started off, she started off really slow with me because um, I think that's maybe what I needed. She told me to, um, after I was about a couple of months sober, she told me to uh, pray. And I said, I don't know if I believe in God. And she said, that doesn't matter. You get down on your knees every day and you pray to believe. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of an intellectual, or at least I like to think sometimes that I am. And I thought, if I don't believe, why would I get down on my knees and pray to something I don't believe in anyway? Or pray to believe, who am I praying to to come to believe? And um, she just said, just do it. <laughs> that was her answer to everything. You know, I would call her and she'd say, do the dishes. And i think, but I'm mad at so-and-so and they're doing this and this and this. And she'd say, what does your kitchen look like? And I'd say, well, I do have, you know, do the dishes. And so I'd do the dishes. And uh, I didn't know, ever know really what that was going to accomplish. But it, it, what it did was it get me away from myself long enough to, to you know, most of the time, though, I didn't forget what I was angry about right away. Um, anyway, after I'd been in AA for three months, I went back to court, and they put me in jail. He, he decided that I needed to spend four days in jail, which was, you know, in the big picture, a very big deal. But it was, a, it was an awesome opportunity for me to really fully understand the first step, and that's what happened. Because by that time, I, there, I, was, caught in, I was caught by, by what I had found here, the miracle of AA. I, just, I loved AA already, and I, was, I had only been in AA for three months, but I already loved what I had found. And um, I remember with a lot of arrogance thinking that I wasn't going to get into any trouble for what I had done, because now I love AA and I want to stay here, and the judge is going to know that. And they're going to say, you know, great, go and, you know, whatever. But that's not what he said. And that Friday night, we were having Don N. come down from Moorhead, Minnesota um, to speak. And I had gone to court Friday morning, and I was eagerly anticipating going home and, and getting ready to go to that function. Instead, I was sitting in a jail cell with, with six other ladies. 
And, um, and it was a really good, that whole weekend was a really good opportunity for me to see how powerless I was over this disease. And that if I wasn't powerless over this disease, I would have the key to that door. And I didn't have the key to that door. So, you know, it was a good, it was a good opportunity for me. Um, when I got out of that, uh, of that situation, they had started me over in that six-month program, as a, a, along with everything else that I did. And I had three months more to go. And when I got to that six-month period and I got my last card signed, there was a feeling, I know Wendy was talking about the day she turned 21, and uh, the feeling of, uh, you know, oh no, it wasn't Wendy, it was one of the panelists, Joan, was talking about when she turned 21 and that feeling of, you know, wow, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I kind of had that, that happen to me. It didn't happen to me when I was 21. It happened to me when I got my last card signed because I'd been in that program for a year and a month already. And I felt that way then. I thought, there's nothing stopping me from walking out. So I was at that point where I had, you know, that position. And um, I remember going to a meeting and somebody new came up to me. Somebody brand new came up to me at that meeting. And we were t we just started talking and I don't th and it wasn't a matter of me helping them or it was a matter of her helping me but we talked and I thought if I go miss this and and this is what I like and this is what I want and I made I made that decision that that uh, um, the power of this program had got me it had got me and I, I mean and it still has me I mean and it's been a, it has been a wonderful absolutely wonderful journey and every time I think it can't get better it does um, it seems like that's what's happened for me um, when I was three months sober I met my husband he was um, a couple years two two and a half years sober at the time and I was three months sober and um, I was the only person I was the only person that his sponsor told him to stay away from imagine that <laughs> I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. I'd involved all of them in this big lie, except for my husband. It was uh, I lied to my sponsor and my mother, and you know I was still living at home at the time, and you know I just done this, you know. And really, you know what always impressed me about that in retrospect is that I really felt bad because I'd been caught, and it was a few years later that I actually would feel bad about doing things and not getting caught when I actually developed a conscience in this program, but it hadn't happened yet. At that point, I, I was really only angry that I'd been caught. And um, anyway, and he said, boy, she's trouble, stay away from her. And, and I told that to Jerry Jones, and he said, and your husband probably said, where is she? You know, because he was in AA too. He was a sick alcoholic. So um, we, we found each other, and um, we started dating, and he was in the Air Force, and he got fairly, uh, for about two months after we started dating, he got orders to Germany. And um, he was going to go, and uh, I had to kind of we had to kind of decide what we were, you know, what what was going on here. And I know he he talked a lot with his sponsor, and I know I talked a lot with my sponsor, and it seemed like the right thing to do. And we got married, and we had about I don't know, I think it was about 200 people in AA at our wedding, and I really, honestly, looking back, think there was 199 of them back there taking bets on how long we'd last. Um, <laughs> But September 1st, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. And that's, you know, that is entirely the program because I learned everything I've learned, I've learned here. I, I didn't know anything. I, I honestly mean that. I didn't know 
I was telling them at breakfast, I didn't know that lights would turn red only if opposing traffic came up. I didn't know that. I didn't know that when I got sober. I found that out after I was sober that I paid attention. I would, it's like I came to, I came to. And um, I learned everything about how to be, um, there was a couple of, I was a couple of months sober. They had this uh, winter frolic thing and a friend of mine that I pa palled around with in the program uh, fell down the hill and got uh, hurt and ended up in the hospital. And everybody was going to go visit her. And I thought, what a novel concept. You actually, you're going to go visit somebody in the hospital? I had never, ever done that. And I'd had a best friend in a, in a death, near death, on, on, in ICU for weeks. And I never so much as sent him a card or called or anything. And he had, at the time, was my best friend. And, it, and when I was drinking, and I ne it never occurred to me to, uh, that, that you be a friend like that, that you show any kind of... Um, everything I learned, in, I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I learned that you do these things, and then you get those results. I, I act like a friend, and then I had a friend. I acted like a good wife, and then I was a good wife, and then I wanted to be a good wife. I acted, you know, I, I did these actions, I did these steps, I worked for this program, I got involved in service, I did these things and I got the results that we get when we do those things. I would stop doing those things and I would stop getting those results. And it's as simple as that. There is no other way, there is nothing else about this, this program that I need to know except that, that if I do, it kind of reminds me of that game Jenga. And for those of you who don't know what Jenga is, it's a bunch of, a bunch of little stick blocks that you build up and then the object of the game is to take one out at a time and at some point the thing crumbles and falls. And my program is like that. I've, th that this program has been built with my sponsor and, and with you people and the, this fellowship one thing at a time. Go to meetings, call your sponsor, read the big book, sponsor people, you know, have an honesty and integrity. All these things that we do, trust in God, pray every night on my knees. All of those things that I do, and if I take some of those away, I don't know which one is going to be the last thing I take away before the whole thing falls. And I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out. I've never gone. I've never not gone to meetings in my sobriety, um, and I don't intend to, to, to try now to start now. That's for sure. But uh, I've had ups and downs. I know that when I was um, pregnant with my first child with my husband, um, I gained 60 pounds. Every baby I had, it seemed I gained weight and wouldn't lose it. You know. And uh, I gained 60 pounds and I stopped praying on my knees because I, I had knee problems because I was that heavy. And um, it was not a bad intention. I wasn't thumbing my nose at God. I just stopped praying on my knees. I did not stop praying, but I stopped praying on my knees. And it was recently that my sponsor has directed me to do that again. And I said, you know, I don't know why I ever stopped that. I don't know why I didn't go back to it when I lost some of the weight. You know, I don't know. But it's made a big difference again in my sobriety. You know, just um, having that uh, humility, having a little bit of the humility to say, I am not God. I am not the one that has the answers. I never was. And I, I, I'd like to think that I was, I think. Um, my husband and I, we got married right before I had a year of sobriety. My sponsor got married before she had a year of sobriety, so she was never allowed to tell the girl she sponsored that they couldn't get into a relationship before they had a year. And I think that's got to be a God thing, that she directed me that way, because we've had a very happy marriage. For, you know, for the most part, we've had a very happy, successful marriage. And um, um, she, uh, 
She was at my wedding. I had my, my, the best man at my wedding is here tonight, today, I should say. He lives here in Buffalo now. Um, those things, you know, you, you can't get there from here, that kind of thing. Um, there's been so many wonderful things that have happened. We've gotten, um, we moved to Germany. We lived there for three years. We moved there and I wanted to leave and come home. A week later, we moved there, and I, you know, and I, it wasn't a week later. I was saying, I miss my group. I miss my, you know, I miss my AA. It's different. It's smaller. They don't do it like we. They don't do it right. They're not doing it right. And um, I didn't. I, I kind of forgot that it's my job to be of, you know, to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to my fellow man. I kind of forgot that at the, for that moment, and um, I was reminded the first time I called my sponsor, but. I was angry and I wanted to go home and I blamed him. I said, you weren't in the Air Force, we wouldn't be here. And he, you know, he, poor Carl, he didn't know what to do, you know, he, he you know. So um, I went off to Sulk and um, after throwing my little temper tantrum and I had bought, I loved bookmarks, I loved to read, I love to read, I read a lot. And I had this bookmark that I bought because it had this beautiful um, beach scene, you know, with, you know, kind of a water scene with the sunset. And that's the reason I bought that bookmark. And I opened my book. I thought, you know, it couldn't hurt if I opened my big book and read a little bit. So I did to calm myself down. I opened that big book. And the, that, out of the six or seven bookmarks I had in my book, that one fell out. And I picked it up. And it said, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And I thought, wow. I guess that means Germany, too. <laughs> so... You know, I had a little bit of an attitude adjustment, and then I got a little bit more the next time I talked to my sponsor, which, uh, you know, um, she said, you need to take what you know and all that you know, that's all you know. You don't know any more than you know. Don't pretend like you know any more than you know because you don't. And I, and she said, just go and, and, and be of maximum service to God and your fellow man, and that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And... We ran a flop house for the next three years. That's all I can say is that is, is we had AA members living at our house every single weekend, 52 weeks a year for three years. We had guys that lived in the barracks and they didn't want to stay at the barracks because the barracks was kind of a rowdy place on the weekends and they'd come over and we'd stay up all night. We didn't have kids yet. We were young. You know, it was the, that was the time in my life when we could stay up all night and still function the next day. I couldn't even think of doing that today. But um, I'd be absolutely dead to the world if I tried that today. But we would stay up all night playing Risk and Zork on the computer that had just come out at that time and um, all kinds of things, all kinds of games we'd play with these guys all night and just and stay up all night. And then we'd go to the Sunday morning meeting and we'd all be just so spiritual because we had been up all night and we were wired and had 14 <laughs> pots of coffee between us. And, and it was great, you know. And my husband loves this part because... He, you know, he had more sobriety than a lot of the newcomers coming in, obviously. And so he was the obvious choice for sponsorship. And uh, so he sponsored everyone, it seemed like. And um, we were near Baumholder, Germany, which I don't know if you know, this is the greatest concentration, or at least at the time, I don't know if it still is, it was at the time, the greatest concentration of battle-ready soldiers in the free world, which means men. That's all there were there, were men. There were infantry and airborne and all you know it was battle battles you know that was that so it was mainly it was a it was a very very male environment and I um, I got an awful lot of attention which uh, 
you know, I would jog on the base and I'd have to wrap in a I, I would, to my knowledge, I didn't even look female, but they would know. And they would, you know, there would always be these cat calls and stuff. And um, one of the things that I, um, that I learned about my behavior, you know, I had learned to this point that I needed to, to be a lady and all this stuff in NAA. And I was, you know, I was usually very kind to new people. I was not, you know, I wasn't, you know, whatever. But at, um, I didn't carry that necessarily, that those principles outside of the program. And there came a day that, that, at that particular base when I was driving and there was a carload of, of people behind me hooting out the window. And I mis mistakenly thought that they were making cat call remarks. And I, you know, I did the, you know, do you speak American out the window. Um, gave them the finger and um, <laughs> found out that night that they were all members of AA that were just trying to get my attention. And uh, so once I was right-sized again, once I was right-sized again, um, I've never flipped anybody off in my vehicle again because I don't know, I, I don't know when, you know, I may be the only copy of a big book that anybody sees. I may be that. I made, I don't know that, you know, I, when I, before I had kids and I was working, I, um, there was a, there was a young guy at the office who, I, I liked him, there was something about him, I just really liked him, and about a year later, he came into AA, uh, he didn't stay, but he came in, and you know what he said to me, several months later, is he said, when I came into AA and I saw you across the room, he said, I knew it had to be an okay place, because of the way I was at the office, he knew I was an okay person. I wasn't out there, I don't know, I wasn't cheating on my taxes and cheating on my husband and, you know, doing all these things that, that uh, you know, looking, you know, I don't know. I was trying to carry uh, a message of AA, I guess, not really trying to, I shouldn't say that. I was just trying to do the things that I'd been taught to do, which is, which is the principles that we have in AA. Um, we left Germany. We went to Colorado Springs. We were only there for about six months when um, he took an early out of the Air Force, and uh, we went back to Nebraska, and we stayed there for um, six years, I think, at that time. And um, my first two children with him were born, and there was an interesting thing. You know, I had gotten a lot of things from AA. I had gotten everything I knew from AA. I had, uh, had grown up, I'd literally grown up in this program and with these principles, and um, I'd given the baby up for adoption years ago, I had said. The, ba that, the baby would be 19 next March, so, and I guess not a baby anymore, but this was years later, I, and I was pregnant with our first, with my husband and, and my first child, and um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fear came out that I wasn't going to be able to carry the baby to full term. That I would, you know, it was just kind of a little fear, and I didn't share it with my husband at the time because I didn't want him to think I was psychotic or whatever. I don't know, but I just had this 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 fear. Now I know I knew by this time, and I had plenty of faith that God wasn't a punishing God, and I knew it didn't really it didn't make sense and it wasn't logical. But I kind of felt like I didn't deserve what I had. I felt like I didn't deserve what I had because of. The things that I had done when I was drinking, the, the, the awful rotten things that I'd done to people. I mean, I'd done a lot of awful rotten things to people. And um, I had that baby, the, my, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, and um, she was two days old. I was sitting in the hospital alone with her, and I just, I felt, the only way I can describe it is I, is I felt forgiven. I had this overwhelming sense that I was forgiven, that I, that, 
Not that I believe that God held a resentment against me, believe me, I don't get that impression, but um, I just felt um, it was the most wonderful feeling in the world, actually, and um, I had the most, the deepest sense of gratitude for this program that I can't even begin to express in words at that moment I had. and. Um, I tried to tell my sponsor, and she said I just had the baby blues. And I said, no, it's not that. It really isn't that. I said, I feel this, uh, um, I just, I felt all, I felt at peace. Um, the only other time that I felt that way was the, 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 after I had done my fifth step with her. I had that feeling again. And, you know, the promises that we have in this program, the things that we get, and um, are, are so outweighed by what I, I've had to give. I've had to give nothing and I get so much. Um, I just have to go to a few meetings a week and talk to some drunks, which I love to talk to anyway. I love to talk to people. I love to find out about them and, and find out what, what's, what's the deal. And um, Jerry's, what he talked about last night with the, the woman who had cancer, terminal cancer, and, and wouldn't she just love to, to go to a few meetings a week and have her cancer arrested? Um, wouldn't that be a great thing? You know, wouldn't she trade places with me in a, in a New York minute? Yes, you know, and I've, I've, I've felt that way an awful lot in my sobriety. I thought, I've, I felt like an ungrateful, an ungrateful bitch sometimes when I think, I really don't want, you know, I re it's cold, it's snowing, I don't want to go tonight. I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I, I for years was on a, a committee that went to the Sarpy County Jail, uh, returning to the scene of the crime, as my sponsor would put it. Um, <laughs> That we'd go there and bring a meeting, and it was only, I, my name came up, you know, we had so many people that would volunteer for that, I only had to go about every eight weeks, and yet every time I went, I complained that I had to go, and I didn't want to go, and it was always an inconvenience, because Monday was the night my husband went to a meeting, and I had to get a babysitter, and I, blah, 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 and then I'd go, and isn't that awful that I'd even, that I'd even think that, but that's what I thought, and I would go, and I would always leave there glad I had gone every single time. And you know what I think is interesting about this is that I was never, um, I wouldn't remember that. I mean, it would be like you think eight weeks later I'd remember that I feel better when I go, and I wouldn't remember that. And that's why I have to stay here, because I forget so soon. I, it, 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 I have a, a, I forget within days, sometimes hours, you know, from meetings what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, we left, German, uh, left Nebraska after six years and went to Korea, and we were there for a year and a half, or about just a little under that. And um, we uh, had, you know, the same experience that we've had everywhere we've gone, and that is that you take what you, what, only thing that you know, that's all you know, and you, you try to be of maximum service in whatever they need, whatever the capacity you can be. And we did that. We came. We went back to Nebraska after that. We were there for just a couple of, a couple of uh, years, and then we moved out to New Hampshire, and we've been there a year and a half. Um, so we've traveled a bit, and got you probably gathered that. And um, everywhere I've gone, I felt like I've had to I've, that all that all I've needed to do was go to meetings, reach out, help people. Try to do what I know, what I've known, and what I've been taught, and that's all I can do. Um, we have three beautiful children. We have a nine-year-old girl, a six-year-old boy, and a nine-month-old baby, Emily Rose, who's 
the delight of our life. Um, she wasn't planned, and they, I think they're just some sort of bonus, you know. She's just a bonus. And considering also I have uh, uh, children that, you know, help me out a lot, too. She's been a lot of fun. She's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm a good mom. I will stand here and say that. I'm a, a good wife. Um, and I learned that from you. I have friends. I call them. I keep in touch with them. I have a best friend back in Omaha that I keep in touch with as much as I can. You know, we, we keep in contact with each other. She came out this summer and visited me, and, and we do that. And um, I've made friends where I am, obviously, too. And um, But, you know, everything I know. You know, when I was new, my sponsor said, do everything different from what you usually do, and you should be fine. And, and she was probably tongue-in-cheek, being a little bit of a smart aleck, but that is, I have, those are Bible words to me. That's, that's been my, my mantra, is that, that I have to do that. If I, um, because my first instinct, even today, is, um, is sometimes not so good. Um, we moved into our new home in Pelham, and New Hampshire, and the moving trucks outside were, were moving in, and somebody drove by and shot out our windows with a BB gun. Now, I was told that that doesn't happen in our neighborhood, but it did. And I also suspect, highly suspected the, the teenagers that live kitty corner from us. And um, my first instinct was to get a BB gun. That was my first instinct, and go hunting teenagers. Um, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And uh, I didn't do that. And I've learned in this program that I'm judged by my actions and not my intentions, that I can think any, I, I can think what I want to think as long as I do the right thing and the, and the result is, is going to be the right thing. You do the right things and the right things will happen. Um, anyway, I uh, wanted to say again that uh, you guys have an absolutely outstanding convention here and I've been just truly honored to have been asked to come. Um, I've, I, uh, I know that the situation that you know Brian had asked me under, and um, I uh, I developed a relationship with my higher power that started in this program. I was raised Catholic. I went to I, I had all kinds of people teaching me things and trying to tell me things. I went to counselors. I went to this and I went to that, and I learned about God in this program. This is where I've learned about God. He he entered my life. He's always been in my life, but I let him into my life just a few months sober. And every time I'm in any kind of in any kind of situation, I have absolute faith that wherever I am, the will of God will never lead me where the grace of God cannot keep me. I have absolute faith on that. It, it's almost, almost, I will say, not not entirely, but almost unshakable. And I know that everything is usually going to be all right, and that I'm usually almost always the problem, you know, and my attitude and what I, and, and things that normally that I can change. And um, so I feel very honored to have been asked. I really do. And um, you guys have been absolutely wonderful to us all weekend long. And um, I'd just like to say God bless you and thank you for listening. Thank you.